1: Learn more at Marines.com.
0: These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. So Declan brought this up yesterday. Worth expanding on here on Mackie and Judd on a Tuesday here. Daily Minnesota sports, entertainment, speculation, therapy, celebration when warranted. So, we're already getting some NBA 2022 23 season win total over unders from the sports books. Now, I think some of the sports books are waiting because, you know, we're like two weeks into the league year. Durant is probably going to get traded, and there's some, there's some big moves still floating around out there. So, a lot of sports books don't have the nets on the board. Uh, some don't. There's a couple other teams that aren't on the board. But, gentlemen, 49 and a half from points bet. Is the over/under that's floated around this week for the Timberwolves? Here are the only teams in the NBA that have a higher or e- an equal or higher win total to the Timberwolves: forty-nine and a half, the Heat at forty-nine point five, the Grizzlies, Sixers, Warriors, and Nuggets all at fifty and a half, the Bucks at fifty-one and a half, Suns and Clippers both at fifty-two and a half, and Celtics at fifty-five and a half. So how does it land with you guys that the Wolves right now are tied for the ninth best over under win total, according to at least the points bet sports book?
1: I think it lands probably extremely fair. And look, in this case for this franchise, this is why I think the Gobert trade made sense Um, because this is where this team needs to take another step. And, were they going to do it as currently constituted? I think that the people that run this team looked at the first round playoff loss to the Grizzlies and said, absolutely not. Like it's a good team, but it still needs more. And so, yeah, I think that is, I think 49 and, uh, and one half while exciting because it's rare, it's also extremely fair. And I think that that falls um, right around where the Wolves should be. And again, as we talked about on, Monday show as well. I also think that it indicates that this team clearly with the Gobert trade has, or should have, taken a step from being a play-in tournament type team to being a solid playoff team that's not going to have to be concerned with that one round of the playoffs. So, yeah, I think Vegas, as they almost always do, is correct.
0: Mm. Well, they were way off last year, as we pointed out.
1: That's true. But I mean... They do a good job across the board.
0: They do. They do generally. There's some last year was such an obvious outlier. This one feels a lot more honed. So I know Dex, you said you'd take the over yesterday. How how does it now that we've painted the landscape here of, uh, you know, they're like ninth. They're tied for ninth right Mm -hmm.
2: now. Uh, Basically, can they be a 50 win team? And I think as currently assembled, they are a 50 win team that they have arguably the best starting five. One of the best starting fives, I should say, in the NBA at this point. Um, some teams are going to come down. Some teams are going to come back up to in the NBA. you know, We brought up the fact that Phoenix might come down to earth a little bit. Chris Paul gets another year older. And also, to be honest, they just have overachieved the last two years kind of to a degree with their win total in in the NBA. So naturally, that tells me regression is probably coming to them. Are the Lakers going to be as bad as they were? They might rise up a little bit but the respect of the Timberwolves, I think, going from a 34.5 win team last year from Vegas to now a 49.5, I mean, that's a significant jump. I, I wonder if we legitimately go back and saw the biggest uh, jumps from last year's over-under total to this one. I have to imagine 16.5 wins from the Wolves has to be, like, number one compared to where, where they were last year. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think constructed-wise, they should be a 50-win team, and if they're less than a 50-win team, either something went catastrophically wrong or a significant injury happened to one of those three core players.
0: Yeah, like I mean, is there a chance that someone could get hurt and they, you know, they only win forty five or forty six and they're a playing team? Yeah, their injuries could could factor in here. If everyone's healthy, I I agree. I think it's a fifty win team. And one of the this is the thing that kind of bothers me the most about the the national backlash about the Rudy Gobert trade it's there's a there's a few different things that people point out can they play together right and uh, oh you don't have to account for them on offense but I think the thing that bothers me the most is people saying well this was their move and now they're all in with no other chess moves for the next four years which is a incorrect now you'd have to get creative to trade future draft picks because you'd have to probably acquire a future draft pick to give yourself a chance to trade a future draft pick so I get that you're a little more handcuffed Salary cap wise and trade chip wise to make moves. But you've opened up back to back winning windows here. And this is what people aren't talking about. So you've, by making this trade, maybe you're not going to win a championship in the next four years, although we could have that conversation. Maybe that's a fun conversation to have. But you've opened up a four year window with Rudy Gobert to where you're going to win 50 ish games, maybe more on a regular basis if everyone's healthy. And the problem is less about can you win 50 games in the regular season and get into the playoffs. The problem's more what happens when you run into a small ball lineup that can just sort of run circles around you and stretch your defense, right? And I'm willing to confront that problem having watched this franchise for 30 years. I'll cross that bridge when we come to it, all right? But the first window is the Gobert window. They're going to be relevant. What no one's talking about is the second window, which opens up In 2026, 27, I guess it would be. And that's the Anthony Edwards emerging into his prime window, coming off of five years of relevant likely playoff basketball and experience. That's the window that I'm the most intrigued by. Because he's going to be 25 years old when Rudy Gobert's current four-year max contract, super max contract runs out. Right. And Anthony Edwards will almost certainly sign a five-year max contract that kicks in in two years from now. So he's going to have like two or three years left on his Timberwolves contract entering his prime and the Wolves have Gobert coming off the books. People are acting like this is the final chess piece. They moved too early. This is This is going to cap their – no, this is going to make them relevant for four years and give Anthony Edwards emerging into his prime playoff-tested experience. And maybe even a trip deep in the playoffs at some point that you know, may, maybe they overachieve before he hits his prime, which is something that no one's accounting for. So I think I, I, I love the two sort of back-to-back windows here that they have created here starting this year.
1: So I, I think the part that people have missed, though, about the trade immediately is if we're talking about the opportunity that exists within a particular windows to win, it's this one. You're forcing the cat window open. You're basically, like, I can't articulate this enough. You are basically telling the cat, you don't have to do the things you don't like to do now. You can focus on what you are good at. So I feel like it's taking the ant, what, what we're going to get to, to your point, Phil, with ant. And we're going there with Cat right now because there's no reason on God's green earth that Carl Anthony Towns should not be a phenomenal player on far more of a consistent basis, probably than he is now. And he's damn good. So, so like it's not like Matt. My God, he's been a bust. He has not been. But if you think about what Gobert is going to bring for Cat. And the opportunity, and that's why I I don't understand this. um, It feels like we're really stuck on, oh, it's Twin Towers, it's two bigs. What are you going to do with two bigs? And I keep saying, I don't see Cat as a big. I see Cat as this unique player. To your point, again, he is a phenomenal three-point shooter. He does things that most big men could never do. And so I actually think within this, you've opened up different opportunities um, the only reason why, and look, it's not parallel completely, but I think that there are similarities uh, to look back on that slow our roll a little bit, is this. This is a little bit what the Wild tried to do by forcing things open with the Preezy and Suter contracts. The problem with those is they were 13 years, and you were basically stuck, as we are f- finding out now. The other thing is, and this is where I think Conley probably gets it and Fletcher. And Leopold didn't. Is the Wolves have two centerpieces right now, Cat and Ant, and eventually Ant? They have. They sort of have uh, potential Caprissovs in place. And the issue with prezi and Suter was, you said, "Here are meg contracts. You're good. We're not. You're going to be helpful, but you didn't have the centerpiece on the table to feature them with." Right? The Timberwolves sort of have that. And so I like the shot that's being taken here because Gobert is a star. Gobert is very good, but Cat and Ant are probably your meal tickets. And now you're putting them with a guy who's going to help them, and especially Cat. But I think the whole Cat thing to me is the most intriguing thing off the bat of what he should do now. And, And we will find out now. Exactly how far Cat can take his talents because it could be off the charts.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it is kind of a it's a move for Cat to maximize his peak years because he's in his prime right now, and and it's also a move to 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 put some relevant pieces next to Anthony Edwards because what was the number one complaint about the Kevin Garnett era that they spent like eight or nine years so Marbury gets traded in 1999 and then it, well I guess it was like a four-year gap of KG just carrying Wally Zerbiak and Anthony Peeler to the playoffs. And then they landed, you know, it was one year of Sam Cassell and Latrell Sprewell. But then they left, and there was two or three more years of dormancy. They could never just put relevant pieces around Kevin Garnett. And so whether, whether you're looking at Cat as the centerpiece or Ant as the centerpiece, I think just putting relevant pieces next to those guys and around them is good. Maybe it's not perfect, but you're the Timberwolves. You don't get to just choose them. Here are five yeah. options. Let's choose the most perfect one. Not
1: many teams do. Right. That's so they, correct.
0: They look to add a key piece, a generationally great defender. And I think if, if you look at, this isn't apples to apples, but if you look at you know recent NBA history, the last 20 or 25 years, when you get a star young player, whether you think it's cat or ant or both in this case, Look at the Spurs. So uh okay, drafted Tim Duncan or had David maybe had David Robinson already and they landed Tim Duncan luckily in the draft, but they were able to put those two guys together. And then Robinson retires after their first championship. Okay. Let's let's and this was all like internally built by the Spurs. Let's go get a Tony Parker and then let's go get a, a Manu Ginobili and a Kawhi Leonard. Again, all of this was built through the draft, so it's apples to oranges. The Miami Heat, though. Okay, we have Dwayne Wade on our team. What can we do with Dwayne Wade? Let's go get him Shaq for a minute and then win a championship. Okay, Shaq's old, he's done. Let's uh spend a couple of years figuring out what's next, right? Okay, now let's bring in LeBron and Chris Bosh and do it again. And like there's so many examples around the league of you find your young superstar, you know, Kobe Bryant with the Lakers, pair him up with Shaq or vice versa, I guess, in the 90s. And then Shaq gets traded to the Heat. And so now let's uh, go find a Pau Gasol and put him in Lamar Odom, right? You just keep iterating around your young star players. Like this is just the first iteration of what to put next to cat and ant. And in three or four years, there might be another iteration that's different or better or smaller or whatever it is. But the goal is to when you have guys like cat and ant to just put awesome pieces around them and see what clicks and what doesn't. And there's so many people that are like, put the draft pick but but what about the 2020 i don't care <laughs> but what if it doesn't work well what if you don't make the trade and you whiff on the draft picks but, like but
1: that's my question what's working like like if if you are if you are flat out going to say right now it's probably not going to work it might not work i want to know your definition because these are the timberwolves So, like, if your definition is, well, if we do not have an LOB within two years, it's a failure. I got bad news for you. It probably won't work. If you say, I want this team to be fun, relevant, and in the playoffs, firmly, too, not the 8 seed, not the 10 trying to get in, but a firm playoff team, and they're not, that's, in my opinion, a disappointing and not working. But I think when we talk about not working or like it's all going to fall apart, what's going to happen? You have to come back to one fundamental thing. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the Timberwolves.
0: Yeah. What if they get what if in the second round of the playoffs they meet a small ball lineup that they can't handle and get beaten six, six games in the second round of the playoffs, I say. Okay. So they right. got to the second round of the playoffs, you're saying? Right. For the second time in franchise history, going back to 1989? Yes. We will sign up for that and then tweak the roster as needed going forward.
2: I think the parallel that you know Judd was also making there with the Wild and comparing it to the previous suter era, and, and this is the worst-case scenario. This is not what you want to have happen, but it's, it's similar, is when the Wild signed Thomas Vanek. So the Wild signed Vanek in year three... Of the Prise and Suter, Aaron a right, decorated goal scorer. I know we're comparing centers in basketball to goal scores in hockey here, but but they thought this is our one last piece. We got to the second round the year before. Vanek's going to be that natural goal scorer that pushes us over the top, and we're not going to get just to the second round. We're going to run to the Western Conference Finals, go to Cups, and obviously then it drastically kind of Vanek was very underwhelming. That team still went to the second round with Vanek in his first year, but at the same time, it, the, the Wild were still relevant. In the short term, it was still relevant. Long term, it didn't work out for the Wild. But I think with Rudy Gobert's skill set, it works. Like it, it, and they're not asking Rudy Gobert to be the number one guy. They're asking Rudy Gobert to do a very specific thing. Uh, and and Vanek wasn't a worker for the Wild. Like Vanek just was like, all right, I got my money. I have scored a bajillion goals in the NHL. I'm back home peace out. I'm good. I'm I'm going to take my time here. Where I think with the Gobert trade, it's it, he is a secondary piece. He's a, a very important secondary piece because he's going to open up your defense and make things a lot easier too for your offense as well. But that is the fear that it becomes kind of a Thomas Vanek situation where then they never really achieved what they were set out to do.
0: But they're taking shots. Like the one Correct. thing that you can't you can't fault the Wild for is yeah, they it didn't work out. They never even made it to a conference championship and At the end of the day, it was probably a failure because of that. But man, like they took swings. They took swings at Parisi and Suter. They took swings at Vanek. They you know they made trades for guys like Pominville. I mean, they were in the ring throwing haymakers at trade deadlines and mortgaging future assets. And guess what? They never really tanked. You know, they. It's not like they ever stripped it down and became what the Blackhawks are now. Now, obviously, the Blackhawks won championships, and it would have been nice. So I think you can look at the wild and say they were hunting for championships. They probably just had a glass ceiling because Parisi and Suter weren't good enough for the money they were making and for the length of their contracts. Mm -hmm. And so the the Timberwolves are hunting. I love it. (laughs) I love the fact, like, are they as good as the Celtics? No, but there are steps to be taken, especially in the NBA. Sometimes in the NHL, you can put together a team and have a hot goaltender and make a deeper run than you thought. That's not really how it works in the NBA. You need to go step by step by step. You got to have a young, preferably a young great wing player, which the Wolves have in Anthony Edwards, and take your lumps. And I think Chris Finch and Tim Connolly put their heads together for the five minutes they were together before Gobert was traded to the Wolves and said, man, the Pelicans are going to get better. Lakers are probably going to be a little healthier next year. Uh, Damian Lillard's coming back with the Blazers. So there's a few, and the Clippers are going to add Kawhi back. So there's like four teams behind us that are all going to try and get better here. We run the risk if we don't do something of m- not even making the playoffs or, or maybe not even, I, I don't think they are in danger of falling out of the plan, but
1: of taking a step back. And from a basketball and business standpoint, that's a bad idea. Like, like they have finally captured, I feel like the sports fan again in this town for the first time in a long time. And I feel like it's real now. It's not just the cult of, of uh wolves fans. Um, So I think to uh, explore this topic a little bit more, too, I think this show, the three of us agree completely on this. We like swings. Like, I'm rarely going to criticize, unless a team does something that's just stupid, like trading for a pitcher with a bad arm, and then it turns out that that he needs Tommy John. I think that we ordinarily fall in in line with Parisian Suter, over to Cousins, over to Gobert, you know. You take your me? shot. The most important thing, I think, and this is where it becomes tough, and we, we've broached this a little bit so far, is knowing when to pivot off of it. Like, that's my problem. Like, I, I feel personally, and who knows? Hopefully I'm proven wrong. I feel like now we've seen enough of Kirk where I am where I personally would pivot. That does not mean I think it was a, mat- a mistake to take a swing. Um, and so I just, I really hesitate... With all that we complain and and be and moan in this town about our teams, I really, I don't want to say, well, I mean, you gave up those draft picks. But the most important thing is, if it doesn't work and it's very clear three years in or so, is having the guts to say, we took a shot, didn't work, let's go in this direction.
0: Yep, and that's the other thing, too. Let's say this doesn't work to whatever extent, and I think the floor is very high. To me, doesn't work isn't like, oh, my God, they're going to win 38 games. I think the the doesn't work is more they can't go as deep in the playoffs as they will or as they want to. Okay, so after two years of it, you've got a 32-year-old, probably at that point, if he's eroding a little bit, overpaid Rudy Gobert, but certainly not someone that you couldn't move. I don't think think he's just going to fall off a cliff in the next two years. But you'll also have Karl-Anthony Towns in his prime. So if you really needed to, you could say, "Okay, okay, Anthony Edwards, we're we're gonna we're gonna push forward into the Anthony Edwards era officially." This thing kind of hit a wall. We're gonna trade one or both of our big men for other assets. There's and I and, and that's two or three years out if it doesn't work. But there's chess moves to be made. There's another positive here for the Timberwolves, and Declan kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago that I want to run by you guys as you look at the window in the Western Conference. Uh, but first, a shout-out to our friends at Equity Partners. So one of the uh, co-owners of Equity Partners, his name is Ryan. He's a huge he – he's going to be on Purple Daily. Write that down uh, this week on Wednesday. And uh, what they have done at Equity Partners is they have made the process of selling your home and the timing of getting into a new home completely hassle-free. So with their we Have program, they will partner with you to fix up your home before you put it on the market, anything from simple fixes to total remodels. And you can move before you sell, which is a huge thing when it comes to timing it up, right? You can put offers in on your next home non-contingent on the sale of yours, which is huge. Find out more at equitypartnersmn.com, equitypartnersmn.com. It's also golfing season. Oh, yeah. Uh, In fact, I'm going to go get a lesson tomorrow because my swing, I tried to fix my swing with, like, YouTube videos. And I'm just, like, stuck between my old swing and what I Mm. want my new swing to be. And it's a disaster, Declan. Yeah, uh,
2: but my TikTok algorithm, it's 95% uh, golf swing tutorials. And then when I'm on the course, I'm trying to remember a thousand of those things. And you know what? It's nice to know that. But you know what you could do is you could also book a lesson. You could also go down to the golf at Meadows at Mystic Lake and do that as well. They have a full service golf shop. Uh, they obviously have their award-winning 18-hole public course. You can book that tee time at GolfTheMeadows.com to learn more. And also, the Legends are coming back. The Lando Lakes Legends Classic Golf Tournament is uh, Saturday and Sunday, August 13th and 14th. World Hall of Fame members in Nancy Lopez, Al- Amy Alcott, Julie Inkster. Uh, find out more at LegendsClassicMN.com, LegendsClassicMN.com, and GolfTheMeadows.com to learn more about that tee time.
0: So back to these over-unders for a second here on the Timberwolves. So the Timberwolves, 49-and-a-half. If you just look at the Western Conference teams in and around the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, the Nuggets are all 50-and-a-half, just a, a win above the Timberwolves. Suns and Clippers are at 52-and-a-half. And then right below the Timberwolves are the Mavericks at 47-and-a-half, Pelicans 44-and-a-half, Blazers 40-and-a-half. And then the Lakers are off the board right now because there's all sorts of trade rumors and whatnot. So there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams that are either above or slightly below the Timberwolves. And so call it ten fairly relevant teams in the Western Conference. And then you got like the Rockets and the Kings, kind of the Oklahoma City, the rebuilding crew. If you start to go through these teams, the nine teams that are relevant and fighting for a play-in spot. The Lakers, LeBron James, going to turn 38 years old this year. The Warriors, definitely still in the middle of a dynasty, toward the back end, end of the dynasty. But Steph Curry turns 35 this season. 35. Wow. Looks like wow. he's 23 <laughs> still. Clay Thompson going to turn 33 with wear and tear of devastating injuries adding up.
1: You no, know. but Wiggy. They got Wiggy yeah. in his prime well, now. For one more year, anyways. Yeah, They got Wiggy. Or he goes and breaks you know, the bank somewhere else. He's happy and just going to be content.
0: Uh, Suns, Chris Paul, 37 years old. Now, they have a lot of really good young players that, right. uh, you know, they're not going to go off a cliff completely when Chris Paul's done. So don't get me wrong. But uh, the Clippers, again, the Clippers are probably the team to beat, if healthy, this year in the West. But Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, both in their 30s. Some injuries that have added up, especially with Kawhi. The Blazers are not as good as the Timberwolves, but even if they take a step forward, Damian Lillard is a worn 32. I mean, that dude has a ton of usage on him. So those teams are going to age out unless they make a bunch of big tweaks. I don't think the Suns are going to fully age out because, you know, they're pretty loaded with young talent. And that kind of leaves the Mavericks with Luka. You're going to be dealing with Luka for a long time in the Western Conference, but they have yet to put a viable... Partner next to him or team around. It's kind of the Luka show. And I think right now the Timberwolves are a better team than the Mavericks. The Mavericks have the best player, but the Timberwolves are a better team. You'll be dealing with Jokic, who's only 27 years old, MVP guy, right? Uh, and John Morant, I think, although he might be one of those high-usage small players, too, that once the Energizer bunny hop goes away in the uh, late 20s, early 30s. But there, he's a long way from that. So you're going to have to deal with him in the Western Conference. And the Pelicans, I think, totally depends on Zion. Can he stay healthy? Is he even gonna be in New Orleans long term, you know, in a year or two from now? Are they gonna trade him? Right. So so as you start to take the Lakers and the Warriors and the Clippers, I'm looking like a year, two years, three years down the road, as Ant emerges into his prime, yep. this thing sets up I'm not saying the Wolves are gonna be competing with the Warriors for a title this year, but this thing sets up really nicely in a five to six year window for the Timberwolves to be kind of taking one of those top three spots in the West on a consistent basis,
1: dare I say? Um, if all goes well, yes. But here's the thing. So Golden State is so well run. I'm curious what they do. Like, I could see them. They are an incredibly well run uh, huh. team. The stars so have been well run too, John. Exactly. But, I mean, I could see Golden State replenishing or doing something. I loved last season. Just be awful. Just be I mean, just bench staff, be like, screw it, we're going to lose as much. That's the genius of sports, is knowing when to pull the rip cord on a season entirely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if the Timberwolves, I think if all, if all goes well, and keep in mind, too, so this depends, I really believe, on cat and, and ant. Like, we're going to talk about... Gobert, because he cost a ton, and that's fine. But the reality is, like, when you're talking about a window that is is, let's say, four to five years out, that is more of Ant, where it's Cat gone? Gobert certainly is going to help right now and can, and can set a tempo or help set one. But, like, if you look at what it takes to win in this league, and if you look at what the Wolves currently have, and the development of the players potentially there, who, again are our, our star to potential superstar players, yeah, I think that they're in good shape. The the other question is this though. Can you get to a point if this Gobert thing works, and let's say the Wolves take off, let's say they're a four seed this year, which I think is is tough but possible, can you also in the next five years convince like one more really good player eventually to join it? Because like that's the thing, right? Like if like if you could ever I don't think it's ever going to be gone completely. But if you could reduce the Timberwolves tax, like if you're to a point where players are like, okay, it's cold there and it sort of sucks, but that team is good. And for instance, they've got a new building. Like they've got new this and new that. Um, I think that what Conley has done very smartly, and again, I think this is, is really driven by the fact that that, Lori and A-Rod want to change the face of this franchise completely, which is very smart. I think what they are doing is they are putting a new spin on this team entirely so that the Ma and pa Wolves are now going to be gone. And I think that is going to be reflected around the league. And it only takes one or two good players to say, I love Ant, I love Cat, I'd like to join it." They've already turned
0: the wolves in, into Shark Tank. I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank on CNBC <laughs> late at night, just binging episodes. You and Mark Cuban? And it's uh, like I could I could never see Glenn Taylor on that show, ever. Okay. But I could see Mark Laurie. Hell, A-Rod's on that show sometimes. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of. They just came in right away, and they said, all right, enough of this. Yeah, like you said, enough of this mom-pop stuff. Listen, yeah. we'll do what we need to do. We'll go down to Mankato, and we'll eat some potato salad and some lasagna and get yeah, some but paper sign. And we
1: knew that at a time. We talked but, about uh, that.
0: But then we'll we'll eventually sort of just do what we want to do, which is run the yeah. show here. They, they have done a masterful job at building a great relationship with Glenn. Glenn, we love you. Oh, thank you so much. May I have another helping of that. What is is that a mustard-based potato salad? Oh, my gosh, I have to get the recipe T-jons. so I can make it at home, Glenn. Oh, by the way, what, what do you think? Shot. If we just start kicking the tires on a couple president of basketball operations. Can I have another
1: brought Becky? Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Taylor?
0: They have done a
1: masterful Amateur. job
0: massaging that relationship and basically getting what, what they Look, want here in the first year of their minority ownership.
1: It's not necessarily fair, okay? But Dave Benz was a sacrificial lamb because they basically said, we want to bring in, and I guarantee they're going to get one, a national-type guy. Did
0: you hear who the who the latest is? Who's that? Charlie Walters threw it out there.
1: Oh, Gus Johnson.
0: Yeah, you, Gus Johnson.
1: Yeah. I floated that first. Judd Jud actually
2: had it first. When As did reckless, you float that? Uh,
1: reckless speculation. Zolgad's roundup last week, and I, I labeled uh-huh. it. This is reckless speculation. But Gus Johnson makes perfect sense here.
0: Did you float that as an idea, or did you float that with idea. a little, little little birdie? No, come?
1: no, no, no. I floated it as an idea because it makes perfect sense.
0: Okay, but is Shooter just kind of like, is he reading oh, your I stuff no, and saying it's a good cares? idea? I or is Shooter's, Shooter's column.
1: I hope he is. I'm is honored. Is he
0: sourcing it? Does he have someone telling him? There's a little birdie telling him. Maybe. Okay. Maybe.
1: I love that column. Every so the, other the, Sunday, Pioneer Press, my favorite column.
0: The honest. young whippersnapper Timberwolves fans who consume our podcast and YouTube channel. You might not remember, but Gus Johnson was one of the Timberwolves play-by-play guys in 1996-97, Kevin Garnett's like MSC? second year in the NBA. MSC? In fact, I think he was the play-by-play guy for Stephon Marbury's first year. Him and Kevin Harlan and uh, we'll Chad Hartman play.
1: were kind of yeah, Chad in the did, mid-'90s mix. I want to say Chad was the analyst on MSC with Gus when Gus did play-by-play. But I But I just think that these guys are at every turn, right or wrong, At every turn, they are trying to make splashes. Because this team, for far too long, never made
2: a splash. Okay, so on that exact topic of a splash. So apparently there's a a clip, and I'm about to play it right now. It's a clip going around of DeMarcus Cousins. I think this is at Summer League. I think this is at Summer League. I saw this, yeah. And Tim Connolly walks by. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The league doesn't even
1: post up anymore. You get more post-ups from... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> tap
2: in, tap in. so that was tim Connolly that walked by and boogie gave him the call me Boogie. call me so the backstory
0: there is tim Connolly was in denver obviously and they had demarcus cousins for the whole year last? no because he was uh, in milwaukee for part of the year too yeah mm-hmm. so De- demarcus was in was in denver for part of last year totally just a shell of himself in his early 30s after a torn acl Yep. But they, I look at that roster and think, well, they could use like one more big body off the bench for ten, twelve, maybe fifteen minutes here and there. Hmm. I would do it. Sign me up. Very interesting. Sign me up. Is, is he still a pain or no? Eh, I mean, he's he's the last two years after he missed he missed all of two thousand nineteen twenty with a torn ACL. And uh, he's been uh, just a, a bench guy that's, that plays 15 minutes a game. And he's played for some good teams. He played for the Clippers. He played for the Bucks and played for the Nuggets. So he has accepted a bench role Okay. at this point in his career. If he's cool with it, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Can, he uh, can still knock down some shots. He can still do some things. Yeah, so last year between the nuggets and the bucks he was 15 minutes a game he gave you 9 points in those 15 minutes he just came out just guns blazing in 15 minutes a game but uh 9 points, 6 rebounds, couple assists, a steal, a block and he shot 46%. And it's definitely worse players you could bring in for 15 minutes than DeMarcus Cousins on a some sort of a, a veteran's minimum contract. So Absolutely. Here for it. Are you guys are you guys in on Gus Johnson or no? Yay or nay on Gus Johnson replacing Dave Benz, if that happens?
1: I think he'd be awesome. I love Gus. Yeah, I mean he's.
0: I'm here for
2: it. I love yeah. Gus. I think give, give me a Gus gasm, baby. An Anthony Edwards dunk and just watching. <laughs> yeah, he's just gonna go nuts. Yeah. He's gonna go absolutely yes. nuts. It would be a blast.
0: And I, all due respect to Dave Benz, but like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna let go Dave Benz, you're going to another level, correct? Right. Like, what's the, what would be the point of letting Dave Benz go if you're not going to like? A recognizable it's, national figure of some kind,
1: right? Exactly right. Mike Breen, lure Dude. him away from the Knicks. Can you imagine? Bang! <laughs> He's unbelievable. Probably put a phone call in, don't they? They put a phone call into Pat Riley to run the team. That's incredible. I know the, these guys are big game. Hunting. They have zero shame. This is what shame. I like. This is what I like, though. Like I'm, not, but I am. But who are we in flyover country to, to say, oh, now you've gone too far, right? Like this is fun. Kevin Harlan would
0: be my dream if if we could get Kevin Harlan oh, back yeah, in the mix. And he, does have a, he does have a place in Door County, Wisconsin, so he definitely still has Midwest. Yes,
1: roots. and I, I believe he still remains the play-by-play voice of the Packers in the preseason Okay, because um, oh. his dad, uh, Bob, was team president of the Packers for a long time. I did float out, if you could get, and I think the Wolves did this in the early 2000s, if you could get Harlan for a package of games, I would take that. Like what, I think did, did, what like did did 10, he do it? He he did a package of games. I want to say it was back when they were on Channel Twenty Nine. Okay. uh but he did like I don't know ten games, and, and then th- the rest were done by a different person. I think Sean Grandy at the time. But anyway, the Sean point. Grandy, being, yeah. But the point being is, if you could get Harlan for any amount of games, I'm taking it because he is off the charts.
0: Yeah, he probably would because he's doing the national. He wouldn't be able to do like a Sunday afternoon game in Correct. October or November, December. But have I to think find he still loves else. the
1: wolves, and this team is good now, so it would actually be fun again.
0: I uh, I have a friend who ran into him at just a towny bar in somewhere in Door County a couple years back, and uh, and my friend kind of walked up and said, you know, hey Kevin, I don't I don't want to bother you, just I'm a big fan, and and Kevin went right in. I guess he's just an I've never met him in person, but I guess he's, he's really just an all time great guy. Just went into guy. you know he's and he always he's got that voice all the time. Yeah. How he's always doing? talking like this, and he just asked my friend a bunch of questions about what do you think of the Timberwolves? What do you think they should do with Wiggins? What do you? What, I don't know about this move here. Like he had a bunch of takes on the Timberwolves. Just yeah. I don't know, a couple cocktails in, a couple old fashions in. At
1: he, he's seriously fantastic. <laughs> like I would take ten games. I think we
0: can push for more.
1: Let's okay, push I for take twenty. 15. Let's get twenty. Twenty I'll games take from where, Kevin. Whatever we can get from him.
0: It'd be funny if we just reverted back to the mid-90s and it was like Kevin Harlan for 20 and Gus Johnson for 20, and then maybe Marnie can do 10. I don't know who <laughs> fills in the rest, but we can figure it out. All right, Mackie and Judd, uh, it's time for our Tuesday pecking order here where we uh, we like to rank things on the show. And with training camp on the horizon, in fact, we are a week away, less than a week away from Vikings rookies reporting to Egan For training camp, we're going to tap into the mind, the great Vikings mind of Judd Zolgad here. Long-time lead Vikings beat writer at the Star Tribune, 1500ESPN.com. Judd's 10 favorite Vikings training camp memories. The floor is yours.
1: All right, so I will start at 10. I will work my way up. I have covered, I did the math last night. This is very frightening. Seventeen training camps dating wow. back to the two thousand five season. Um wow. Just to be just to be clear, I'm going to skip the Zimmer Cousins theatrics last year, just because it's we've talked about it a thousand times. I'm just bored with it. Okay? I don't know that that would
0: make a list of my favorite training camp memories. Well, I'm just chirping saying most at each other over favorite COVID protocol.
1: memorable. So like the these are you know. I know this is gonna shock you, but keep in mind, Sports stats, favorite things might be a bit on the how can I put this nicely negative side of times. Okay, <laughs> so like I'm gonna bring up some I'm gonna bring up some negative buried training camp memories here as well. I feel but like this anyway. list
0: this list was presented differently to Declan and I, okay? If you're just going to crap on the you Vikings got... for 10 no, things here. I'm not going to crap on, Maybe crap on the them. Maybe we should frame the list differently
1: to the other. I'm audience. not going to crap on them. It's a, it is my 10. It's I sent you a note last night. Judd Zolgad, sports dad's 10 favorite, okay? That doesn't mean that they're uplifting. That doesn't mean they're positive. That means they are my 10 favorite things. Some uh, are positive?
0: Okay, well, this list is Somewhere. presented by our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. <laughs> and Federated, Federated's all about providing a positive influence in the world here, okay? Unlike what Judd's about to do. But um, coming up here, also toward the end of the month, is the annual Federated Challenge, which along with just all of the, the great partners that, uh, that raise money, too. $44 million raised for Big Brothers Big Sisters since 2005. And Big Brothers Big Sisters is all about providing children facing adversity with strong and enduring professionally supported mentoring relationships that can change their lives for the better. There are 5,000 children currently in the state of Minnesota that are being uh, helped by a big of some kind. If you want to be a big yourself or find out more about how you can help, go to federatedchallenge.org. That's
1: federatedchallenge.org. All right. Packing order. Commence. All right, here I go, and hopefully my connection continues to work because I feel like I'm freezing on my end.
0: Uh, you are like a, little so a little glitchy here, so we're shaky. gonna we're gonna we're gonna yeah. grind through glitchy. it for the first couple and see what happens.
1: All right, let's see what happens here. Let's test run this thing starting at number ten on Judd's ten favorite training camp memories. All right, Declan, number 10. what's the
0: percent chance this train wrecks?
2: Uh sixty-five. Sixty-five to well, wait, seventy. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Train 80. Mix
1: from a, a glitchy, a glitchy standpoint, just or anything, the, the, any, guys just any, any, really any
0: number 80. of different things. Yes. This yeah. is unfair.
1: This is unfair. This is completely unfair. All right, Xfinity, get your act together. There, fix your problems. All right, number ten on my list, Kyle Sloder stinking it up in practices, and then having unbelievable (laughs) preseason games is the poster child for Vikings training camp QBs, okay? Like, I could run through all of the QBs. Oh, my God, Tyler Thigpen. How could the Chiefs take him? We will never have a joint practice again because they saw Tyler Thigpen. But Kyle Sloan is the – because everyone would watch him – in training camp practices and be like, he's not any good. And then he would be unbelievable in games. And the fan base would be like, how can you not play Kyle Sloter? You got to keep him. He should be your backup quarterback. And now he should start. So Kyle Sloter at number 10 is my poster child for Vikings backup quarterbacks and the annual training camp. This guy's got to play. No, actually, he doesn't.
0: Yeah, you know, there's, there's like a separate sub pecking order here, too, of the things that divided the Vikings fan base the most. And Kirk Cousins is number one. At least in terms of things I can remember, but Definitely. Kyle Slaughter might be in the top three. People had so takes for, for days for, for on c- Kyle for Slaughter, people, man.
1: For certain people, it was
0: dude. It like, was I feel
1: like we didn't get caught up in it as bad, but like Collar was in the was in that storm constantly. I he like.
0: was uh, he was fighting with people on social media for sure. Yeah, I just I I, I don't know. I here's the thing. There's like 20 or 25 truly relevant, quality starting quarterbacks in the world. So there's always like six or seven teams desperate to find one. And Slaughter was given a chance through waivers, I think, two or three different times in his career or more. And you're telling me that desperate teams, teams looking for great backups or starting options just overlooked him? So it was always obvious to me, oh, he's he's having a, I don't know, he plays well against the other team's vanilla defense and backups, but a lot of people saw something different with him.
1: Yep. And he has <laughs> and, a Pro uh, And
0: very divisive.
1: USFL uh, QB as well. Do they call right. it the
0: Pro Bowl, the USFL Pro know. Bowl?
1: He's an all-star. I don't know what they call it. All right, number nine is a positive on my list. And it goes back to 2014 training camp in Mankato, something that Phil and I and a bunch of folks watched at that time. And that is the amount of time, and I will always go back to, to this because I think it was significant to his development into a Pro Bowl player First-year coach Mike Zimmer spending what felt like a long time coaching up cornerback Xavier Rhodes. Like, that was one of the most memorable things. I always felt like Zim was around Rhodes, and look, it worked. Like, he became, in his prime, a shutdown corner. I think the relationship eventually went by the wayside. But that being said, Zimmer showed, I think, in his first, First year, his true defensive prowess really with that move to turn Rhodes from what was probably a really good player into for a while what felt like a star player.
0: Yeah, if only Zimmer could have given that much attention to I don't know the quarterback position once. Glenn, I
1: want I want the record to reflect Phil Mackey took a very positive memory of mine and went negative
2: my favorite judd xavier rhodes moment was when during an episode of cluster fun r.i.p on score north judd mimicked xavier rhodes galloping like a horse trying to do a coverage and i think the video still surfaced out there i'll see if i can find it maybe show it for like old tweets or old moves it's when he got
1: hurt because he got hurt every game but you had to get out of your
2: your chair to mimic a gimpy xavier rhodes just to throw salt on the wound He did pull,
0: he pulled a few Paul Pierce's, right? Where he he looked like, oh "Oh, man, he looks like a sniper got him somewhere. ACL, is that that both Achilles torn? Oh no, he's back one play later.
1: (laughs) He's never coming back.
0: But it was, yeah, I think Zimmer, Zimmer rolling his sleeves up in the early portion of, uh, you know, his coaching tenure and working with Xavier Rhodes. I think that directly led then three years later to that 2017 defense being one of the best in Vikings history because Xavier Rhodes was... Roads closed,
1: baby. Lockdown. Exactly right. All right. Eight on my list of uh, Judd's top ten training camp Vikings. Memories as we get start for uh, report date on Sunday for the rookies and Tuesday for the rest of the team. Number eight. This goes back to not being positive. Sydney Rice being put on the pup oh. list because of a hip injury in training camp 2010. It turns out that he had had the opportunity to have surgery after the 2009 conference championship game against the saints basically said, if you don't give me a new contract, I ain't getting the procedure done. Therefore, and this really, (laughs) this was the first, this was when the snowball started to go downhill on 2010. When we showed up unbeknownst to us completely and rice was out. He then a few days after camp began in August had the surgery and was, never the same and to this day i have never confirmed that brett Favre completely knew when he agreed to come back with his teammates uh to play in 2010 i have never officially confirmed that Favre knew about rice's condition because at the time he basically claimed he didn't so what started the snowball on the season of hell in 2010 going down that hill as far as i can recall was that moment in the hot mankato summer when Sidney rice was put on the pop list. Sidney
0: Rice has one of the weirdest careers in recent NFL history. He does. He played seven years in the NFL. Here are his catch totals. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip 2009 and leave it for the end here. Okay. 31, 15, 17, 32, 50, 15, 83. Here are his yardage totals. 396, 141, 280, 484, 748, 231, 1,312. The conversation was really easy, right? And the Vikings kind of did this. They're like, you're playing hardball? Dude, uh, okay, unless we can bottle the 2019 version of Brett Favre every year the rest of your career... Guy, in 2008, you played 13 games and had 15 catches, and then Brett Favre came along and made your career, okay? Calm down on the uh, extortion here, holding surgery over our heads. One of the rare instances I will agree with a team over a player when it comes to contracts.
1: And Actually, uh, for comparison's sake, look up the career stats of Javon Walker of the Packers, because I'm willing to bet they are about the exact same, because Brett Favre made both Rice and Walker, star players, it felt like, for a season.
0: Yep, Javon Walker, had he had two really good seasons, but one one with the Packers. So he goes 300 yards, 700 yards, 1,400 yards, and 12 record. touchdowns.
1: He was unbelievable.
0: And then he got hurt, right, the next year. Maybe tore his knee or something, because he only played one game the next yes, year. He, he tore his knee up. Then he, he went to Denver in 2006. That might have been a Jay Cutler. Maybe that was before Cutler, but he went for a thousand
2: yards in Denver, and then that was kind of. Oh, kind I, mean, of I think it was Jay Cutler. James Jones. James Jones like led the league in yep. receiving touchdowns with with Aaron Rodgers, it's and went remarkable. to Oakland and was just terrible. Like he or not it's terrible, but, like wasn't effective at all.
0: What if Devonte Adams is just a you know, sort of a mid receiver, and we've all been <laughs> propping him up? I don't be. Think like, he's, he's a but, machine. Don't get me wrong. I'm the just kidding. This crossed
1: but. my mind. <laughs> like man, he's not as good as we thought he was. I wonder why that is. <laughs> Amazing.
0: Uh, okay, let's keep, keep right. it rolling. Number seven. Yeah.
1: Number seven, Bryant McKinney showing up in training camp in oh. 2011 in such bad shape. And with here's what makes it memorable. With such high cholesterol that the Vikings decided to release him. They were, I'm going to tell you right now, they were legitimately afraid if they made him practice in the heat, he might drop. Damn. And he came in so fat and in such bad shape that they're basically like, you know what? We can't tolerate this and released him. What year was that again? 11. It was Frazier's <laughs> first full season.
0: Okay. I think and he signed it with was,
1: Baltimore shortly thereafter.
0: I think it was that summer right before training camp because I, I live downtown Minneapolis and I went with a couple friends over to. Is seven still open? That steak yeah. and sushi place? Yes,
2: uh, that's temporarily closed right now due to some problems they had earlier this spring and summer. <laughs> okay. But it's well, still I there. Yeah.
0: No? So I, I, you know, once in a while, go to the go to the rooftop on a nice summer day at seven and grab a grab a glass of wine and some steak or whatever. And so I'm sitting there with a couple friends, and Brian McKinney comes walking up the steps with oh, yeah. nine women. Big Mac. <laughs> and they had some VIP corner, but I'm like, dude. This is how you live the life in the NFL, right? Just call, I don't know, nine of your favorite gorgeous women. Tell them to put some evening gowns on, and it's just yeah, you and maybe. them hanging out on the rooftop at 7 downtown Minneapolis.
1: God Plus, bless Brian McKinney. Cholesterol man. off the charts, though. That's my favorite. You're yeah. a pro athlete. Ah, I don't yeah. know. I was having
0: some fun. Yeah. Sorry, my, my LDL is 375. <laughs> <Exactly>. I...
1: <laughs> you might die on the field. It's not. We're not going to have you practice. All right. Number six, 2006 opening day of training camp, Brad Childress's first uh, season in which it poured. And coming off the Tice thing where it was seen as, oh, the Vikings are, the players control everything, the players are in charge, you know, the Randy ratio, everything (laughs) is done for the players post-Denny. Brad Childress was going to change that in a driving rainstorm. They had them practice outside, and here's the best part. The Vikings then proceeded. That was the first of 12 consecutive days of full padded practices in the summer heat in Mankato. Amazing. 12. 12. It's aggressive.
0: Yeah, I remember some of those those early Childress teams. They all kind of blend together, but, I mean, those guys were getting after it at practice, full pads. I mean, it was like you're watching a live football game. I think they had some level of tackling in some of those too. Yeah, I think you're right, man. Yeah, those guys they would have just like you know grass and mud stains all over their when they wore the whites out there with the full pads.
1: Yeah, I I remember if if I am correct on this, Antoine Winfield was absolutely taken aback. He's like, "This is the hardest training camp I've ever been through. This is unbelievable." As it as it should have,
0: it hardened those guys for a run to the NFC Championship game just a few years later.
1: I think the quarterback helped in that one too,
0: though. <laughs> no, I think if, I think the hard mistaken. practices in 2006 laid the groundwork and the foundation. Can you imagine that
1: though? Twelve consecutive days full pads.
0: That's aggressive. It's a little much. Twelve. Yeah. At two? no point in your football career would you ever have full pads on. Maybe in like eighth grade or something when you don't you don't have like shorts and shells and just just like right. you put your pads on every day.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So. Uh, all right, so it's halftime here of Judd's pecking order, and yes, I'm going to need you to go grab your dog, Stella, oh, for a second she's right,
1: off, she's right here. Stella, come
0: here. Okay. Because we have a new partner here on Mackie and Judd. Okay, I'm showing. I want Stella to look at the screen here, okay? All because right. on the screen for the Let's YouTube watch. audience, this is a very happy Maya Mackey. Oh, this Maya! This is the three-year-old Maya Mackie. Oh, look at how excited! Look how excited she is, okay? If you want your dog and Stella, I'm talking to you, to be as excited, look at the slow motion for the podcast audience. This is my uh, 17-pound three-year-old Chihuahua Terrier mix. Literally smiling ear-to-ear, jumping up and down, excited for her NutriSource chicken and rice food. NutriSource is all about digestion and gut health for your favorite little four-legged critter. Okay, Stella? Stella. Stella. So, with their good-for-life system, gets your dog the nutrients that he or she needs for those Tootsie Roll poops. Okay? We want consistency.
1: Those are the healthy ones. Consistency I
0: think. in time and in substance. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I want this to be the beginning for Judd and Stella on a new journey to digestive and gut health, to consistency, so that all dogs can be like Maya Mackey with their Nutrisource oh. food. Chicken yeah. and rice is the preferable uh, blend in our place. Go to NutrisourcePetFoods.com, Stella. Stella, are you writing this down? She's got Bark. it. Okay. Nutri-source Pet phone. Foods. Got our phone out. com to Her find phone a pilot. retailer near you. Look at that. Good Look job. at that. Who's it's
1: a good girl, Stella? Judd and Don have a, a food plan, Stella, and now so do you. Everybody in the Zolgad. house is going to be healthier. So exciting. I
0: You're guys. all going to be pooping on a schedule. It's going to be great.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for that. All three of us are going to go outside that's, and that's, hunker down in the grass no, no, some Tootsie look at, Rolls. Look at how excited she is. New food. <laughs> New food is coming. Aren't you excited?
0: So uh, we're excited to spread the word about NutriSource. Ch- By the way, it's a third-generation family-owned uh, company operating out of Perham, Minnesota. But you can find their foods in all 50 states and even internationally. Again, NutriSourcePetFoods.com to find a retailer near you. All right.
1: Bye, Stella. we got to get to the rest right. of our pecking order right. here. Okay. right. got to do my... I know that's sports. I know. She's like, "That's my endorsement." Everyone, get away from my from my endorsement. She's
0: an influencer now. All right, number five, Judd's Judd's, uh, most memorable training camp moments.
1: All right, number five on my list, Dante Culpepper. I think most folks forget about this one. Staging a one-day holdout in two thousand five, on the same day it was a Saturday in training camp in two thousand five, and Culpepper. And Michael Bennett weren't there. And so, like, we're there, and we're like, where are they? Oh, they just had a day off. You know, Ticey, they just had a day off. We gave them a day off or something like that. They, um, It turned out, now, I still have no clue where Bennett went, but Culpepper, who had gotten that huge, I think it was, like, 10-year, $100 million contract that was worth, like, $12, uh, Culpepper staged a one-day walkout. I think it might have been the next day or two days a- after, signed some form of reworked deal. Um, but that was, in retrospect now, without knowing it, that was sort of the beginning of the end, because then at, uh, at the start of 05, Dante struggled badly, didn't play well, began to it up a bit, I think, and then, of course, the whole boat thing took place. They went to Carolina. His knee was essentially destroyed, but that one day when Culpepper did not show up sort of signaled his um, his not being happy with the franchise and sort of started a chain reaction of things that took him from a 2004 w- where I think without Peyton, he, he very well might have won the MVP and 2005 was just an absolute disaster.
0: Yeah, he finished uh, second in AP Offensive Player of the Year in 2004. If somebody would have told you Right after that season ended, okay, he's a he's a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, basically second in line for MVP behind Peyton Manning. Led the NFL with four thousand seven hundred seventeen passing yards, just a tick under seventy percent completions, thirty-nine touchdowns through the air, yep. a bunch more on the ground, and this is pretty much it.
1: Yeah, what it, this is pretty much what?
0: the end of his career. Like, he's going to play for six, five or six more years, but he's this is the end of his Mm. career as a starting quarterback, a viable starting quarterback at age 27.
1: I would have said, you're absolutely nuts. And then, so, and then the the thing is, Tice got fired. Childress came in and Childress had every intention of Culpepper coming back. And that's when Culpepper wouldn't, I think he, he was still upset with his contract. I think he was continually trying to get, Uh, more term, or certainly more cash. And the whole thing with with Brad going through the, because we essentially asked, where is he? What's he doing? And Brad's like, I I can envision a strip mall and a Chinese restaurant. He was basically at like a fitness place, trying to rehab this disastrous knee problem. So, that was it. But yeah, no, I would have said you're crazy. Mm. Dante Culpepper is going to play for a long time. So, yeah. All right, number four, it's sort of the encapsulation of Adrian Peterson in a nutshell, no pun intended here. <laughs> Adrian Peterson having a, what was at the time, a surprise allergic reaction to shellfish in 2012. Oh, yeah. He had to call Sugarman, who had to do an emergency, like this was a crisis, emergency EpiPen injection they took him to the hospital, and a few years or a year after that, Peterson basically said, you know what, I like seafood so much, I'm going to take an EpiPen with me and continue to eat it. <laughs> I love it. This is me <laughs> with
2: spicy foods.
1: But I mean, that's, is that not a Peterson like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, you almost died, what's Epi- up? Oh man, I oh, I'm still
2: eating. As someone who has had to shoot an EpiPen into his leg before for allergic reactions, it is a pretty terrifying experience. I've had, to have, I've had to do that before. I, I had an allergic reaction in really? 2012. I had like two of them. And act, we still haven't really solved what it is, which is a potential issue. Because every time it happens, it gets worse and worse. And it got so bad when I shoved the EpiPen in, I still had to go into urgent care. And then I had to get, sorry to get graphic here, a shot of Benadryl in my butt cheek. And my ass muscle was sore for three weeks. Cause there is no meat on this on this keister right here, so that, my butt was super sore. But I will say I got the best sleep of my life. I slept seventeen consecutive hours from <laughs> from an EpiPen and a shot of Benadryl in my behind. It was incredible.
0: Where where do you get in an emergency situation? Where are EpiPens available?
2: Uh, that is a good question. I'm guessing like trainers and stuff definitely have them on stock. Um. Oh yeah. And they you can buy so like you can buy a few because obviously you're only gonna use them for emergency uses and I think they're usually good for like five to six years. So like it's not oh. so like you have to re up it every mm. few months or once a year. They're usually good for multiple years. Is there a type of food
0: that you guys love so much if someone said, Listen, if you have any of this food ever again, it's gonna trigger an emergency reaction that you'll need but but if you have an epi pen and urgent no. care nearby it's it's going to be okay no that you would plow through anyways
2: zero chance uh i probably would risk it i probably i love seafood too and i love wings and i love food if it's a food that i love a lot i'm probably yeah. gonna risk it i don't care
0: i think it's pizza for me man i love pizza yeah
1: but if you were told you're going to have to inject yourself. And, Worth it.
2: And, no problem.
1: Wow. I've done Worth far worse. I've done far worse to this body. Than I would have expected. Yeah. Go to Chicago. Well, so am I. Know you guys, I, but I you guys like don't love deep dish it.
0: on the show, but go to Geno's no. East. It's going to take an hour and a half for them to cook no. it. So you put the no. order in. Go find an EpiPen. No. Come back. Eat the pizza.
1: Jam deep deep it in your leg. overrated. I Very love overrated. thin crust. <laughs> I love pizza. We've deep dish completely overrated. pizza. Including including. The best. It's not where it comes from. It's the oh, it's yuck.
0: Well, you guys are wrong. Let's get to number three here. Number three on my
1: list. Number three on my list. All right. So we all know that Favre never officially showed up in Mankato, but there are four quick things that come to mind when it comes to Brett Favre in training camp. I think a few of of which Phil will also recall because he probably covered as well. Uh, the pursuit of farm that began in Mankato in 2008 that led to the Vikings not being charged with tampering with the then Packer quarterback, despite the fact they definitely tampered. <laughs> uh, the practice in 2009, towards the end of training camp in Mankato, that triggered the Vikings going into a panic uh, because Sage and Tavares looked so bad, and that is what I believe precipitated the we have to get him in back. Three, um, the stifling hot Phil and Palacero were there as well 2010 practice in which Childress Spielman Brzezinski and the Wilfs never paid attention to the field at all because they were game planning how on earth to get Brett back yeah and then for the rumor that Favre was driving around Mankato in a black pickup in 2010 and some guy who was clearly trying to pose as Favre walking into places and and causing, I believe, at least one Mankato TV station to actually pursue him.
0: Yes, uh, the, one of the TV stations actually reported that Brett Favre was in Mankato. I'm fairly certain. I think you're right. Yeah, there's uh, just a whole, and the, by the way, all of these stories get told if you want. We've got three or four different episodes <laughs> on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. If you go down to the Rewind section, we lay all these stories out. Everything 2009, 2010, Brett Favre. In great detail. Sage Rosenfels is part of some of those, so
1: definitely worth a deep dive. Yes. Love it. Number two. This does not count as a Mankato one. It's right after camp had broken, but I have to at least broach it, and that is Declan. I apologize. Teddy Bridgewater's knee uh. exploding in a in what still amounted to a preseason practice after the first game that was ever played by the Vikings in U.S. Bank Stadium, and Teddy had played so well against the Chargers, and we all thought, man, this is going to be a fun year. Um, Still one of the most inexplicable things of all time was the fact that the guy dropped back to pass, and his leg just basically went, and it was a disaster. And then the last one, number one on my list, what could top that? Only Corin Robinson leading police on a 15-mile chase in which the St. Peter cops clocked his 2003 BMW going at 104 miles per hour in August 2006. And then the next day, going to the St. Peter courthouse to cover Corin being brought in, I recall, in shackles and an orange jumpsuit, is number one on my list. It was a day I won't soon forget.
0: Amazing, yeah. So this is, days. in fairness to Corin, this is before Uber, so a you know, little, little tougher. And he was to...
1: drunk too. And he was drunk too. But besides that, and the year before, everyone talked about, oh man, sobriety. He's fine. He's finally at peace. They yeah. signed him to like a three-year contract, and uh, it all came apart as he raced back to the dormitory. And I believe he was finally apprehended, if I'm not mistaken essentially going up the hill to gauge center. So he almost made it. Yeah. Well, he did really make it. It's just that he couldn't get out of the car. Yeah.
0: It's dangerous. He should not have been driving. And even though Uber didn't exist, I'm sure the Vikings had a couple connections. They could probably find you a driver. He was going to be late for Minneapolis. He was going
1: to be late. It would have had to be quick. And I believe that the, the speeds from the cops, they said reached 120. On one sixty nine, but you
0: know, it kind of goes from a, it kind of goes down to thirty and forty there real quick. You know, can catch you off guard. That's a good point. This is when you are going one hundred thirty. Uh, Two shades. Really shade so. you are
1: right. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> all right.
0: Judd's ten most memorable training camp moments for the Vikings here a week before Vikings training camp. We will continue our Vikings training camp preview series over on Purple Daily today. Is the offensive line really fixed? Let's mm. do a dive into what the Vikings have as of right now going into training camp and tomorrow write that down predictions and an accountability session Mackie and Judd